you open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs this evening, I'm excited, excited to, uh, to begin this study with you th this evening. All right, well, it's exciting for me to begin this study in the book of Proverbs. Uh, I've never taught through the entire book before, though I've taught individual chapters. Uh, and so tonight we're going to do an introduction, and we're going to get a little bit technical at times, probably a little more technical than I'd like to get, but uh, I just want us to really understand this type of literature so that as we interpret it, as we go forward, we're going to interpret it the right way. Um, so we want to come with the right lens because Proverbs is different from other portions of Scripture. So we need to understand what it is. Now, the word Proverbs uh, title is actually from the first verse, and that was in Near Eastern uh, culture. You would often name something after the very first line. And so uh, you'll see the Proverbs of Solomon. They actually named it from that verse. And uh, Proverbs is a form of wisdom literature in the form of poetry. So if you enjoy poetry, if you enjoy wisdom literature, then you're up for a treat. Now, English proverbs are a little bit different from Hebrew proverbs. English proverbs are usually short, concise sayings that are, that are popular, that people like, regardless of your background. But Hebrew proverbs, though they are short and concise sayings, uh, usually they're only popular to those who fear the Lord. So if you have a right relationship with the Lord, then you're going to love proverbs. If you don't, maybe they're just going to go over your head because we'll see today the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Without that, you're going to miss the entire book. Or it's just going to become a bunch of wise sayings, but you're not going to see the, the main point of it. Um, now, there's three characteristics of biblical poetry. First, as I've always already mentioned, it's short and concise. Uh, it expresses truth, though not total truth, about any given subject. And this is very, very important for us to understand that when we read the Proverbs, they're speaking truth, but not total truth, meaning that it's not the end all for the given subject. Let me give you an example. Many of us who are parents in this room have probably put to heart Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Has that verse been special to anyone's heart? I know as I teach my boys and I want them to, to grow up in the Lord, that's a verse that you hold on to. But I'm pretty sure that you've seen godly parents raising their children up in the Lord, teaching them the word, bringing them to church, fellowshipping with believers, and the kids are prodigals. And sometimes people look at this verse and they're like, well, what happened? If we have a misunderstanding of what Proverbs are, someone's going to get blamed. Either you're going to blame the parent, maybe the parent didn't do a good enough job, or maybe as a parent you're blaming yourself because you're thinking, well, wait a minute, the verse says this, and my child is going this way. Or people will become judgmental, and they'll begin to look at those parents and say, oh, they must have not done something right, because the Proverbs 22.6 says, if you do this, they will. The problem, though, is this verse, while it is true as a general truth, it also depends on the child, doesn't it? And that's why this book is actually not addressed to parents, it's addressed to youth. It's addressed to the child. See, if it was just about the parent, then this book would just be a manual for parents, and you hand it to the parents, they teach it to their children, and if we were just good little robots, we would all follow suit. The problem is God's given us a free will, and he's given our children a free will. 
And so that's just something that's very important. Sometimes I hear people quoting Proverbs as if it's the end all when it's giving us a general truth that's generally true. But there's also other Proverbs that might speak of the same thing from a different angle. In fact, sometimes when we're going to be studying Proverbs, you're going to see it says one thing here. And then it seems to say the complete opposite thing over here. And you're thinking, wait a minute. It's contradicting himself, but, it, but he's not. And, and we'll explain that as we go. But please understand that it expresses truth, but not total truth on any given subject. Uh, number two, it does use imagery. And that way it conveys an idea with fewer words. It's great for learning. And so it uses things like simile, metaphor, allegory, personification, hyperbole, and irony. Now, I have a confession to make. When I was in, in school, in particular high school, uh, I was the guy who was trying to get away with English class without doing anything. And if Carolyn was here, she would probably hit me with a ruler. Um, after I got saved and all of a sudden I began to want to read and especially the Word of God, I thought, wow, boy, did I miss it in those years of high school trying to learn. I should have learned grammar. And now when you hear those words, maybe you hear some of those words and you think, what in the world is he talking about? Well, we're not going to get real technical with those things, but as we go through Proverbs, we will explain the style and why the wording says what it says. And so don't get overwhelmed by some of those phrases if that's foreign to you. As an as a English uh, get-byer person, um, a lot of it's going to be new for me as well. And also we'll see Proverbs uses what's called parallelism. And that is that there's a relationship between half lines of a verse. They call it versets. And so you'll read a line and it'll say one thing. And then right below it, the second half of the verse will say something that complements the first part of the, of the verse. Sometimes the first part might be general, the second part specific. First time uh, might be also general and sometimes concrete. So uh, again, we'll explain what that means, but I just want us to have an idea as we look at these Proverbs, we're going to approach them hopefully from the way that, a f that, that someone who was reading it in the time of Solomon would have read it. That's our goal, to put on eyes, really Hebrew eyes, because it's Hebrew poetry. Um, and it'll also use sound in syllables. Now, I don't particularly know Hebrew uh, or speak Hebrew, and thankfully, we have a lot of opportunities to learn from scholars in the field. But if we were to read Proverbs in Hebrew, there would be sounds that are used to convey messages and meaning. And so as much as we can, we'll try to convey those things that we sometimes lose in translation, uh, that we lose with the English language. Now, as far as authorship goes, we, most of us are aware that Solomon is credited for most of the Proverbs. We see that in one, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Also, 10 1. Uh, and if you recall in 1 Kings chapter 3, do you remember at Gibeon, God asks Solomon in a dream? He says, Ask, what shall I give you? Do you ever read that? Now, before we even get into Solomon, can you imagine if God spoke to you in a dream and he asked you that question? Ask, what shall I give you? In essence, he was giving Solomon at this point a blank check. And just saying, Solomon, whatever it is that you want, you ask, and it's yours. If God asked you that question, how do you think you would respond? Now, before Christ, that would have been very dangerous. As a new Christian, still pretty dangerous. As a mature Christian, still could be dangerous, right? 
But we know that Solomon answered the Lord very wisely. This is what he said. You can follow this uh, if you're taking notes, 1 Kings 3. His answer was this. He said, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? And so as, as Solomon understands the weight of being king of Israel, and not just king, think about it, he follows David. <laughs> he follows the king of Israel, David his father, and as he realizes the weight of his responsibility as king, as he sees the multitudes of people that he's responsible for, he understands before God that this is a task far too great for me to handle. You ever feel that way? You know, God allows things to come into our life, and it's too big for us. You know, sometimes you've maybe heard people say, God will never give you too much that you can't handle. Well, he does in our own strength. He gives us way too much that we can handle in our own strength. And if we try to handle it in our own abilities, we're going to fail. And I think Solomon understood that at this point. He says, Lord, I need wisdom. I need understanding. I need to be able to, as king, make wise decisions with, with all the multitude of the people that you've entrusted into my care. That had to be overwhelming, looking at that nation and realizing how inadequate he was. And so God's response, we see that it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And, and the Lord notes that Solomon didn't ask for long life for himself. He didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for the life of his enemies. You know, it's kind of like what James said. He said, you have not because you ask not. And when you do ask, you ask amiss that you may spend it on yourselves. Kind of similar thing there. Where God is understanding Solomon's request. And he's saying, you didn't ask for selfish things right now, Solomon. You could have asked for riches, you could have asked for glory, you could have asked for anything you wanted, and you didn't. And that caught God's attention. And so we see that God gave him a wise and understanding heart. In fact, none like him before or after. And in 1 Kings 4.32, we see that Solomon would write over 3,000 proverbs. 3,000 proverbs. Have you ever tried to sit down and write a proverb? You know, I, I heard Pastor Chuck talk on this before, and he had a couple. I, some of you have probably heard his, probably his most famous one, Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken, right? And I, I remember hearing him say how it took him so long just to come up with one proverb, let alone 3,000 proverbs. Amazing, the wisdom that God gave him. Now, some have noted that Solomon ceased listening to his own instruction, Right? As you read about Solomon's life, you see that he didn't always take his own counsel. And for some people, that can be a stumbling block. They can say, well, why would I want to listen to someone whose life became so, such a mess? Someone who obviously didn't live up to his potential. Uh, Bruce Waltke, a, a, an Old Testament theologian, said, spiritual success today does not guarantee spiritual success tomorrow. 
You know, and Solomon's life teaches us that, that, that he started off well, he asked the Lord for wisdom, he, he asked him for what was necessary, but he ended up not walking out that out. But what gives us great joy is understanding that who is really the author of this? Is it really Solomon? No, he was the instrument, right? Who is the author of wisdom? It's the Lord. And so I actually thank God that God uses flawed people. So now when I read about Solomon or Samson or some of these guys in the Old Testament who had all this potential, but maybe they didn't live up to it, I'm kind of thankful for that because you know what? It encourages me to know that God can use someone who's far from perfect. God can use us. And it's not because we're all that. Solomon was not all that. But the Lord imparted to him this wisdom that we're going to be studying over the upcoming weeks. Um, now, we do believe Solomon wrote most of these Proverbs. We, we see from chapter 25 uh, that the men of Hezekiah also uh, probably copied some of Solomon's Proverbs. Uh, chapter 30, we see that Agur also wrote probably chapter 30, and then Lemuel, verse, chapter 31. So there's probably several authors of the Proverbs, but most of them are attributed to Solomon. And the setting is actually a court setting where there was spoken encourage, encouraging words to the audience to hear. If you'll notice in verse 5, before we get into the text, uh, it'll say a wise man will hear and increase in understanding. And so these were things that were orally given in a courtroom setting, so to speak. They were written on a scroll. And the idea was to take this from the courtroom, take it to the house, and the father then is to teach his children these sayings. That's the goal right now. And so you'll see many of these sayings, a father speaking to his son. Now we could, I don't think it really matters per se, whether it'll be a father or a mother. We'll see wisdom is personified as a woman. And so these sayings are things that were supposed to go from the court to the house to impact families individuals, lives. Yeah. Maybe you've heard that it's said if, if the enemy wants to try to destroy a nation, where does he start? He starts in the house, doesn't he? Because if he can get the house, if he can get the family, if he can destroy the, that, that God-given unit, then he can get the town and the city and the state and the country. And so the book of Proverbs is something that we need today. As we see our society, as we see the family units and shambles in many cases, God wants to speak wisdom to our hearts. And God knows how much that we need wisdom in the day that we live in. You know, I remember hearing Billy Graham say that he would read one chapter of Proverbs a day because there's 31 Proverbs and in many months there's 31 days. And so just a, something to think about. If you wanted to get through the whole book of Proverbs in a month, you could read one chapter a day and succeed in that. So let's go ahead and get into the text. That's uh, our introduction. Even though we're going to look tonight at verses 1 through 7, which in itself is an introduction as well, uh, you'll note, verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. And note here how Solomon sees himself at this point. Even though he is king at the time, he still understands his father David is the king of Israel, that he was something special. 
As Christians, we understand why David was so special because it would be the promise that God gives David that on his throne, someone would come and reign and rule, amen? And we know that that's Jesus Christ. And so he understands the king of Israel. He is the son of David. And the word Proverbs means to be like or to rule. In other words, it's something to govern our lives. It's also referred to as sayings of the wise. And so it would sort of be like a sage comes and he observes the world around him. And this sage is able to then give wisdom about things of everyday life. Proverbs is a very practical book. And so they're, they're sayings of the wise and they're meant to rule our lives, to govern our lives, of course, for good. And we see now in verse 2, he's going to begin to tell us the purpose of this, of this book of Proverbs. And he begins to say, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. And so the word wisdom here means skill or experience or shrewdness. And it implies masterful understanding or expertise. And it's inseparable from knowledge. And therefore, if you want to think of it this way, wisdom is being skillful with knowledge, okay? Um, sometimes I think we, we think that knowledge is an end in and of itself. That if we just accumulate a bunch, a lot of knowledge as Christians, if I just learn a lot of the Bible and have a bunch of head knowledge, that I'm good. Now, I've learned in my life that knowledge is good, it's necessary, but knowledge does not necessarily mean maturity, does it? Because I can have a bunch of knowledge and yet be an immature Christian. I could memorize the entire Bible, but yet if I'm not skillful with that knowledge, if I don't know how to apply that knowledge to my life, then I'm not wise. I, I remember as a chaplain at, at the Bowery Mission in New York, there was a, a homeless man who had memorized the entire Old Testament and part of the New, and yet he was not a believer in Christ. Isn't that tragic? To spend so much time studying Scripture, accumulating all that knowledge, you know, and the same goes for the Pharisees in Jesus' day. These men were devoted to the Scriptures, weren't they? These men could blow us away with scripture memorization. If you would have went into their presence, they would have just started reciting verse after verse after verse, chapter after chapter. In fact, the average Hebrew would just blow the average Christian away with their knowledge of the scriptures. Remember when Jesus said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. He was saying, look, you search the scriptures, you know the scriptures, you've memorized these things. They're everywhere. Your whole world revolves around this knowledge but this knowledge hasn't impacted your life practically. And so we can be full of knowledge and yet immature believers. And that's why it's so important that we accumulate wisdom, that we become skillful with that knowledge that God gives us, that we know how to apply it to our everyday life. And that's why there's such a danger, I think, especially for new believers. If a new believer gets saved and they go to a church and all you're doing, you're teaching the word to that person and they're just sitting there and they're sitting there and they're sitting there, but they're not serving. They're not applying what they're learning. It just becomes a bunch of head knowledge. And pretty soon, all that Christian wants to do is just accumulate more and more and more head knowledge, but there's no outlet. There's no ability to take that knowledge and apply it to everyday life. 
and therefore they're not becoming skillful with that. They're not becoming wise. And that's one of the purposes, to know wisdom. And also notice, it's not just wisdom, but also to know instruction. And that word means learning through discipline or chastening. Learning through discipline or chastening. And it comes orally or through the rod of correction. Okay? In other words, you can learn instruction by listening to the word of God or you can learn it the hard way. <laughs> and I know some of us, you call it the school of hard knocks, right? Anyone here been to the school of hard knocks? And a picture is a parent trying to instill this instruction to the children and the children either they're going to listen or they're not going to listen. And if they don't listen, we understand as adults they're going to make probably difficult decisions, poor choices. They're going to have to experience unnecessary suffering. And so the question is to accept this instruction and Proverbs will show us to be life, wisdom, and favor. To reject it, we'll see, will be poverty, shame, and death. And so the stakes are high. You know, when God gives his word and we hear it, when we fail to heed his word, we suffer consequences, don't we? Whether you're a Christian or not. In fact, one of the hallmarks of God showing us that we actually belong to him is that he disciplines us, right? Because if he doesn't discipline us, then we're not his children. You know, I always tell this to the guys at the Salvation Army. It was really funny. Uh, Jordan will get a kick out of this uh, as he's preparing for the house. Um, we might have a house full of 40 men in our program. And let's say out of the 40 men, let's say two of them knew Christ. The other 38 guys could be living like the devil. They could be getting over, you know, just all kinds of chaos and doing things behind staff's back and never getting caught. The Christian would do things one time and the spotlight was right on him. And many times I would tell that brother, I would say, this is evidence that God, that you're his child. Because he chastens those whom he loves, right? And so his word, though, his desire, just as an earthly father, his desire is that we'd hear him and we'd listen to him. <laughs> I don't enjoy giving my boys the pow-pow. It's, it's not something I look forward to. In fact, it grieves my heart. I'm thankful I don't have to do that very much anymore, other than our little one sometimes has a little bit of a stubbornness to him still. Um, you don't enjoy that as a father disciplining your children. You'd much rather just talk to them, encourage them, tell them what to do, and they obey. But as a father, as you love your children, as God loves us, sometimes he does have to instruct us in ways that we would rather him not. And so verse 3, we see another purpose here is to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. And just to break those three words, justice, judgment, and equity, down real quick. Justice means a right relation to ethical or legal standards, and leaders are to exercise justice. God expects leaders to exercise justice, and when they don't, there are problems with the Lord. And we know leaders will have to give an account for these things to the Lord, whether now or later. Uh, judgment means a legal decision. 
a legal case or claim, and decision-making, the ability to try things that differ. In other words, it's making good decisions. If you have good judgment, you have the ability to make wise decisions. You're able to weigh things. You're able to understand the pros and cons and the whole picture and therefore make a wise decision. And isn't this what Solomon realized he needed? He needed to be able to weigh the things that were before him and make wise judgment. The, the last word, equity, is used figuratively. It's something that wisdom leads to and what is correct or fair. Um, and so verse 4 he continues on with our purpose here, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. Now, he introduces two terms here that'll, that'll be used throughout the book of Proverbs. One is simple, and the other is young man. And these are people who are naive concerning the complexities and challenges of life. They're inexperienced. In other words, they lack insight. And so when it says in Proverbs that someone is simple, it's not making a, a positive remark about that person. It's not saying, well, they live a simple life and they enjoy simple things. No, it means they're naive. They're inexperienced, sometimes downright foolish because they don't weigh, remember that, that word judgment, they don't weigh sometimes the consequences. So I remember as a teenager, <laughs> You don't always weigh the consequences. You think after consequences, right? Someone gives you a stupid idea and you don't think about it, you just do. That's immaturity. That's this young man he's trying to get to here. That's the simple one. Um, and notice what he wants to give the simple and the young man. He first wants to give prudence. And that word means craftiness, wise, able to detect what is in others. It would be similar to uh, in the New Testament when he told us to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. God wants us to be wise. He wants us to be shrewd and crafty in a good way. As Christians, we shouldn't be foolish. We shouldn't be naive. You know, sometimes I think as Christians, we are very gracious at times and loving, but sometimes we lack common sense and we lack this prudence. We lack this wise craftiness that the Lord wants us to exercise. We're not supposed to be fools. We're not supposed to be simple in this sense. And the book of Proverbs will help us with that. Also, notice that to the young man, the book of Proverbs will give knowledge. And that's information of sound character and also discretion or prudence and thoughtfulness. These words are very interrelated, though they're, they're, they're different. Uh, verse 5, a wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. And so here, again, we're introduced to the wise man who is skilled. He's one who has learned and heeds rebuke. And when it says here that a wise man will hear an increase in learning. Uh, to the Hebrew ear, when you, when you hear the word hear, it means more than what it does in English. In English, it just means to listen. But to the Hebrew ear, the word hear means not only to hear, but to obey. So if you, in Deuteronomy 6, 4, if you've heard the Shema, uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Anytime you read in the Old Testament where it says, hear, O Israel, the, the idea is, number one, listen, because what God has to say is very important, and you're going to have to follow what God is about to tell you. And so to hear is to listen carefully, attentively, and to obey what you've heard. And we do this as parents sometimes, because sometimes when our kids aren't listening or they're not doing what we want them to do, what do we say? You're not listening to me. Did you hear what I was saying? And we're implying the same thing. You're not obeying what I've told you to do. You're not listening. And so it's more than just hearing with our ears. It's also obeying with our hearts. And Jesus alluded to this. Remember when he talked about the man who builds his house on the, on the sand versus the man who builds his house on the rock? The man who builds his house on the rock is the one who hears his sayings and does them and puts them to practice. And so that's the wise person that Proverbs is going to show us all throughout these 31 chapters. And notice also the wise person, the young man who gains knowledge and discretion. The wise man will hear and increase in learning. A man of understanding will attain wise counsel. And so the wise person always wants to learn more. The wise person realizes, in fact, I think the wise person realizes how much he doesn't know, right? As a teenager, you think you know everything. And as you grow older and you mature and you learn more, you realize you know less. And so the wise man says, I want to keep learning. I want to keep growing. I, I know I go to church on Sunday, but man, I need more of the Word of God. I'm going to go Thursday night. I'm going to go Monday night. I'm going to go Tuesday night. Man, I'll go any night that the Word of God is taught because I want to grow in my knowledge of the Lord. Have you ever met someone who said, yeah, I read through the Bible once. And they act like that's an end all, like, wow, you know, good for you. You read the Bible once. I could read the same passage every day the rest of my life and get something new from it. And I realize how little I really, I mean, we know the basic truths of the scripture, Lord willing, but isn't the word of God an inexhaustible? I mean, you could go to the, through this book of Proverbs, you could have 50 people teach you the book of Proverbs, and you're going to get different things from this book out of all 50 teachers. Hopefully the messages will be similar in the sense that you want the meaning of the text. But we're going to see different things from it based on our life experiences, based on what the Holy Spirit reveals to us personally. Isn't that the beauty of coming together as a body, right? Notice it says here, the wise man attains wise counsel. So the wise person realizes he doesn't have a corner on the market when it comes to truth, when it comes to biblical understanding. The wise person realizes that, you know what? I need my brothers and sisters in Christ because they've experienced things unique to me. They've maybe gone before me in certain areas. They see things that I don't see. And we want to be wise, amen? And I believe that's why we're here tonight. And so... Verse 6, to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. And so he concludes with the, the purpose of the proverbs. Uh, an enigma is a parable, but I want to focus quickly on the word riddles here at the end of verse 6. Uh, this is the same word that Samson used, if you remember when he was testing the Philistines, and he gave him the riddle about the lion and the honey. It's the same word used here. 
And it's contrasted with something that's a clear saying. In fact, if you have, I believe, a King James, or some translations will actually say, instead of riddles, they'll say dark sayings. And so it's, it's something that's not clear, at least at face value. You have to dig. You have to search out the meaning. It's, it's something that I believe the Lord, he wants to reward us as we diligently seek him. And so the student, as we get to these riddles in the book of Proverbs, God wants to take these truths that seem to be dark sayings, and he wants to enlighten them to us by the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we study the Word of God. That's why we don't want to just be devotional in our reading of the Word. We want to dig into it. We want to go deeper because the Lord rewards those who diligently seek him. You know, it's kind of like the, when, when, there's many reasons, I believe, why Jesus spoke in parables. But I believe one of the reasons he spoke in parables was this. Did you ever notice that when he first spoke in a parable, no one understood it? Not even his own disciples many times understood the parable. But what did his disciples do after he spoke the parable? Many times they would follow up with him and they would ask him, Lord, what did you mean by that? And then what would Jesus do? Then he would expound to them the meaning of the parable. And so the parables, what they did was they kind of separated the sheep from the goats, if you will. Because some people would hear him speak the parable or the dark saying, and they would just say, boy, I don't get that, and they'd walk away. Why? Because they didn't care. But his disciples who wanted wisdom that he offered had to seek it out. And they had to ask him. And how many of us have experienced when we ask our Lord for wisdom, he's faithful to give us wisdom when we ask in faith. And so finally, verse 7. And verse 7 is really the, the pinnacle, I think, of the book of Proverbs because it's where everything starts and ends. And it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so this word fear, it's a healthy reverence produced by the word and spirit of God. And it's a good thing. And notice it's not just fear, right? If it was just fear by itself, we know that fear can be not a good thing. It can be a paralyzing thing. We know the New Testament says perfect love casts out all fear. But this is a specific kind of fear. It says here it's the fear of the Lord. And Again, it speaks of a reverence for him. But notice, this is something that, that I just caught this time around. The word Lord, did you notice in your Bible, it's all capitals. It's not capital L, lowercase O-R-D. It's all capitals. And that's because when it uses all capitals, it's speaking of God's personal name as revealed to Israel. It's his personal name. And so when it says the fear of the Lord, on one hand, you have this reverence for God. On the other hand, you have this intimate name of the God of Israel. You have both reverence and intimacy. And I think the greatest example I could ever think of with this, and I, and I read this as well, those of you who've read C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and if you remember, the, the children, they go through the wardrobe and they enter into the land of Narnia. And they're, they're, they're greeted by the beaver who's their, their guide. And, and the beaver's 
explaining Narnia to them, and the beaver mentions this lion named Aslan. And as he captivates these children's minds and their hearts with this lion, the children ask him a question. They say, is he safe? And the beaver's response is, of course not, but he's good. And I think it's such a beautiful way of illustrating, because Aslan is a type of Christ, and it's such a beautiful way of illustrating this reverence of God, and at the same time, intimacy in the fact that he's good. Now, what we see here is that this fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the word beginning means it's the first fruit, it's chief, it's first, it's the very foundation. In other words, it's of first importance. If you miss this, then you miss everything. You might as well not even study the book because you're going to miss the point if you miss this saying in verse 7. And it speaks of a point in time in which wisdom can begin. And not until one has the fear of the Lord can one learn true wisdom. And so the book of Proverbs is not just good advice. It's not just nice sayings or a book of manners. Rather, it's a gateway into the wisdom of God, which the fear of God is the door that we enter. And I would argue as, as we close, number one, I, I think this is something that's lacking in the church today, you know, the fear of the Lord. Um, I would argue that the work of the cross should bring us into the greatest fear of the Lord known to man. Because, you know, and I, I do this because it's true. The, the cross demonstrates God's love for us. Amen. The cross is the greatest demonstration of love. God never has to add anything. He never has to take away anything. He, he never has to even tell us that he loves us because he showed us. He demonstrates his love at the cross. But have you ever thought that the cross should also teach us the fear of God? Because God is so righteous. He's so holy that there was no other way known to man that he could forgive us rather than having his son brutally executed on that tree. And as we look to the cross, we should have the fear of the Lord. We should have this reverence for this incredibly holy God who we could not touch in and of ourselves. And yet, this intimacy that he beckons us to come to him through the work of the cross. You know, you can't add anything to the cross. And as we study the book of Proverbs, what we're going to see is ultimately Jesus is the ultimate personification of wisdom. Why? Because he became for us wisdom, poet tell the Corinthians. He, he, he was there at the beginning when God used wisdom to create everything that we see. He's the author of it. And he's the one who came down to us. And so I, I encourage you, as we read the book of Proverbs, be thinking all throughout the scriptures. Be thinking about the fear of the Lord as we, uh, as we approach these. Maybe you'll read the rest of chapter 1 uh, throughout the week. Be thinking about how does, this, how does this fit into the grand scheme of scripture, ultimately personified in Jesus Christ. Let's close in a word of prayer.
Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that you desire to give good, good gifts to your children, Lord. You desire for us to have wisdom, Lord. That's why you've given us your word, Father. You've given us this particular book, Lord, that we would be knowledgeable and skillful, Lord, that we would be wise and shrewd, that, Father, we would, be, uh, that we would learn and grow and mature ultimately in Christ. And, Father, I pray that, Lord, you would just instill in our hearts this fear of the Lord, that, Father, we would understand who you are, Lord, because that's our greatest need. And that everything that you give us, Lord, has to be revealed to us because wisdom comes from you. And so, Father, I pray that you'll make us wise, Lord, beyond our years, beyond our experience, Father. You're able to pour into us, Lord, so that we could become more like your son and represent you well to those in our life, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.